1: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast brought to you by News Corp. I'm your host Andrew Menzel, and in today's episode we have two crack journalists on the podcast. Later on I'll be talking to Ali Martin from The Guardian in England to get his view of the Australian World Cup squad and also get all the ins and outs of the English World Cup squad and we've also got a big announcement. So to help me go through Australia's World Cup squad, I have on the line Sam Landsberger from the Herald Sun. Hello, Sam. Welcome back to the podcast.
0: Hello, men. I'm very excited today. We've got the other uh, 15 and the countdown is on to that first game on June 1. So very excited to be on the line today.
1: Yes, and uh, we've got some exciting news for the listeners that our very own Sam Landsberger will be covering the World Cup for the Cricket Unfiltered podcast, and as well for the stable of News Corp uh, newspapers in the country. But, yeah, great that you'll be going over there.
0: Oh, I can't wait. Obviously, it kicks off at the, uh, the training camp in Brisbane in the first week of May. So there's three practice games at the Allen Border Field and then over to the UK for a couple of practice matches in Southampton and then, as we said, off to Bristol on June 1 against Afghanistan. So it'll be a long tour, but I can't wait to get stuck in and, hopefully give this podcast lots of great content from uh, the other side of the world.
1: Yeah, I was so thrilled that someone who's uh, been such a big part of the show over summer is going <laughs> over. Yeah, we, we had a lot of great fun over summer chatting about the Big Bash, so it's great that you'll be on the ground. And, uh, yeah, look forward to you hearing all your scoops from on the ground.
0: <laughs> Can't wait.
1: All right, so um, Australia have announced their World Cup squad. They did so last Monday. Uh, You spoke to Aaron Finch sort of right after the announcement. What did he have to say? What jumped out at you?
0: Well, Finch Finch is always pretty calm. I mean, he never really drops a headline. The the one interesting aspect, which I I thought was really a question going in, and he really didn't have an answer for, is how that top order will look. I mean, they basically picked three specialist openers in Finch, Davey Warner, and... uh, Usman Kawaja to, to to he basically confirmed that they'll all play. They're all in the best eleven, which means they're basically gonna have to fill the top three positions. Now Usman Osman Kawaja, his average drops from fifty to I think twenty four when he bats at number three compared to opening. Finchy and Davy Warner have basically never done it in ODIs and Warner did it at the 2020 World Cup in India a few years ago, and that didn't work. For me, the really interesting part was how they how they structure up that, that top order because they were probably hoping that it would just be Finch and Warner, a really simple case, but... All his form in India uh, and against Pakistan in the UAE has really created a discussion point, and I don't think they know which way they're going to go.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure they've locked that down yet, but I, I think Kowaja will end up at three. To me, that just makes the most sense, and we saw Kawaija bat three earlier in the summer against um south africa i think so yeah i think that's worth looking at him at three maybe it was india but he was certainly batting three somewhere kawaja what about aaron finch's demeanor um you know when you last saw him he was under a lot of pressure he he left the australian summer with a you know a lot of speculation about whether he could retain his spot in the side he's now come back after a record-breaking series against pakistan did he seem like a changed man to you
0: It's a really good question. I think this is probably why he's such a good captain. To be honest, he didn't. I think Finchie really does hide his emotions quite well. He's always quite calm and composed. In terms of his demeanor on a public front, I think he's always really cool, calm and collected. I know Justin Langer spoke about last week about when he was in that lean patch with runs. He stayed calm as a captain. He probably grew strategically. You know, even though he was under pressure and struggling before he went away, he never really presented that. And I think that's what makes makes him such a good captain.
1: And uh, I heard you ask him about the sort of selection process. Uh, Mm. it, It seems like Aaron Finch had a chat with the selectors, but in the end, the selectors made all the tough calls.
0: Yeah, correct. My understanding was that when they were away, he was giving input. I think there was a selector over on tour with him. Obviously, JL's the selector, so they would speak frequently. But the Tuesday before the squad was announced, uh, the three selectors met in Perth, where obviously Langer lives, uh, and they came up with a final squad there. So Finchie was excluded from the final selection know He basically put forward all his ideas and all his considerations when they were away, but... When they came back and, you know, it it became the heat went up to pick the 15, he was excluded from that final meeting. So that's how it played out. I I think that I haven't been around the traps long enough to know in terms of previous World Cups if that's standard, but I'm led to believe it is that he was never intending to sit in on that final meeting where they ultimately made the, the big call.
1: And uh, let's talk about some of those big calls. Where do you sit on the omission of Peter Hanscom from the World Cup squad?
0: Well, when you first read the squad and you marry that up with his recent form, you think, geez, how, how, how unlucky is this bloke? But. The more it crystallizes, it makes sense. I mean, Uzman Khawaja, when they went away for that series in India and Pakistan, he was probably the most likely batsman to miss out. You just could not pick him given the form he put out. I think him and and Finch averaged 92 runs for the first wicket in the eight-match winning streak. But you couldn't drop him. Sean, uh, Sean Marsh had done enough over the past sort of 12 months to, to to lock himself in four times in eight games, I think it was, albeit they were all losing the outcomes. So one of those three had to miss out. It was uh, it was Kawaja, Sauce or Pete. And given Kawaja and Soft had basically rubber-stamped their places, it just had to be him. So the more you think about it, the more logical it is. The only exception would be that they've decided again to take five fast bowlers. Now, they've done that for the past two, three tours now. So that seemed like that was going to be the way they would go again uh, on that side of the coin. So when you look at it logically... Uh, I think it does make sense. It really interested in your thoughts. Were you surprised he didn't make the cut or did you see it coming as well?
1: I was surprised he didn't make the cut. I actually thought they would probably leave out Sean Marsh just for the balance of the side. But it, it was a tough decision because with Smith and Warner coming back, as you say, someone had to miss out. And I would have slotted Hanscom in as the wicketkeeper and not picked Carey. That would have been the way I'd gone. What do you think of that?
0: Yeah, well, I, I really like that, but the, the, the fact is, it just wasn't going to happen. I mean, they, they just wedded themselves to Kerry so early. And, you know, the fact that he took the gloves in all the one day, I, I think it just showed that that was the way they were going to go. Don't get me wrong, I would have loved them. I would love to see Pete Keith. I think he, he would have offered far more with the bat. Um, and I think he's a really proficient gloveman. But just the fact that Kerry took the gloves in every single one day, it was just pretty obvious that that was that that set on that point. So, yeah, again, I mean, I would have to see Matty Way, given a chance with the gloves as well. But, you know, given how far they backed in carry, I thought that was a fatal complex
1: Yeah, I do think Sean Marsh is a little bit of a selection, though, that is not very gutsy. Like, the gutsy thing would have been to drop him and, and get someone like Hanscom, who not only couldn't contribute to this tournament, but might be around, you know, for the next World Cup as well.
0: Mm, yeah, it's a good point. I mean, is 35. He's a reserve batsman. You, you wouldn't suggest he's going to play a, a whole heap of World Cup games. I mean, it might sort of be, you know, it might be him or Steve Smith for that number four role. But Finch, you basically said that Steve Smith will play. So he's, you know, he's 35 and he's not in the he's not in the best 11. So you're right. You, you could make an argument. It's a little bit of a waste of selection. But by the same token, it, it would have been gutsy to drop him. But it also would have been pretty harsh on him, given seven ODI tons, four in a Four in the recent patch, yeah, but you can certainly see why, why they did give him the nod.
1: Another selection that kind of disappointed me, although I think it was a tough one, is Josh Hazelwood was left out of the squad after making a fantastic appearance on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. I thought that might get him over the line, but he wasn't picked. And uh, yeah, I just think he's almost penalized for busting his gut all summer against India in the test matches. You know, he gets an injury, he falls a little bit out of the limelight, and then they just sort of uh, drop him.
0: Yeah, I'm with you here all the way. I think this is more controversial than, than Pete's omission. Um, cricket Unfiltered's one and only Josh Hazelwood but he's, he's clearly, you know, one of our best bowlers. I've, I'm staggered by this. I think if, it's, if you're lining up him versus Jason Berendorf for that last position, even if Hazelwood's not in your best eleven, I want him there in the team, uh, in, in the squad. Uh, I just I, I can't see Berendorf playing at all if you know many games, if at all. So I think that might be a little bit of a waste of selection on its own. And if Hazelwood's not in your best 11 and you're, and you're dropping games and you're looking to make a change, I'd be far more comfortable bringing in a Josh, Josh Hazelwood than a Jason Berardoff. I think there's a little bit of a gap between Hazelwood and the selectors on his fitness. I know Josh said on, on your program, on this program that he was right to go. I think there's a, a few more doubts at Cricket Australia. I think, They believe the injury injury was a little bit more serious than led on, and they certainly want to to get him right for the Ashes. But, look, so just said during the summer, when they didn't pick Glenn Maxwell for the test squad, that we want him to focus on white ball cricket. Now they're telling Josh Hazel they want him to focus on red ball cricket, these players just want to play, and they want to play in every big corner they can, but Maxi, that's the Ashes and the World Cup. And for Hazelwood, well, that's the World Cup and then the Ashes. So, yeah, it's a little, I can understand the frustration from the player's point of view when they put their hand up. They believe they're clearly in the best 11. In, in Josh's case, I think that's hard to argue. He's not in the best 15. And they're overlooked. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on this one. I, I think he's really, really stiff.
1: Mm, I guess just to mitigate the selector's dilemma, even Hazelwood said on the podcast that he wouldn't be back to full fitness till basically when the World Cup was starting. So I guess the selectors would have seen that as a big gamble. You're picking someone who might not beat 100% or in 100% form anyway. So, but it was a tough one.
0: Yeah, and you throw into that the fact that Jai Richardson and Mitchell Stark still have question marks over them. So I think it was just a case that they couldn't take three quicks with injury clouds. The one silver lining for Josh is that he will be in England for Australia, eh? Uh, he is in the one-day squad there. So if this best- if Stark or Richardson do fall over or, or a fresh injury bobs up, oh, I think he'll be straight into the squad. it has got an interesting stat here about the. I mean, we've referred to the big three for a long time, in terms of Stark, Cummins and Hazelwood. Well, since the 2015 World Cup, we only win 40% of games where they all where all three of them played. So, actually, 19 and 10 when two, two or more of them played. So, history says we sort of only need to pick two out of the three together have a really good chance at winning. So I just went at wondered if I just looked at these numbers as well and thought, yeah, we can probably get the job done with two out of the big three. Our chances don't necessarily go up all that much when they all settle up together in one day cricket.
1: Yeah, the only thing Hazelwood could come back at that, were the selectors with this. So it's okay for Richardson and Stark and even Colton Isle to have slight injury niggles. You still pick them, but I get left out. It doesn't seem like the, the rules apply to everyone.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, and it's hard to argue with that, isn't it? I'm mean, i with you. I think Josh is incredibly stiff, and I'll just go back to the point, well, how much of Jason Berendorf are we actually going to see? Uh, I mean, if he plays, you know, zero, one, two games, it's games, it's a bit of a wasted selection. And if that does eventuate, why couldn't we have Hazelwood there even on the pine just as insurance? I mean, it's, you know, if they're not going to play, let's, let's get the, the better backup option in case we do actually need them.
1: Yeah. Anything else on the World Cup squad that jumped out at you?
0: Uh, not particularly. Look, I, I think given how settled Australia was for a long time, it was pretty predictable. I mean, we knew they were going to pick Coulton and I. We knew they were going to pick Lyon and Dampert together. We knew that Kerry was a lock. It wasn't a surprise. I just go back to what we were probably discussing back in January that, you know, I wish they'd given Darcy Short you know, a bigger opportunity, you know, players like that. I wish we'd seen maybe Matthew Wade at all, given they weren't, for the India and the UAE tours, it was never going to happen. So the, the squad was really predictable. But I just wonder whether we should have given some of these some of these guys a better look before we really locked in on, you know, that the 18 and then the 17 and now the 15. So that's my only concern. And what about you?
1: Yeah, uh, I wouldn't have given Short another go. I don't think he's ready. But, yeah, I do sort of think that someone like Wade probably should have been given a go maybe against Pakistan and just see if he can get more out of that wicket-keeping position. But, uh, you know, something that's come to my attention is that this World Cup squad for Australia is only a preliminary squad. It still can be changed up to May 22nd. You know, you can just change it. For, you can make as many changes as you want between now and May 22nd. So, you know, question marks might still come up over, say, Steve Smith's recovery from his elbow injury or some of the fast bowlers. So you really could have changes made either when the squad comes together in early May or even up to that date in May 22nd if if things change.
0: Yeah, you bang on. You can also change it after that with the, with the medical note. I think after May 23rd, you don't need a note. But having said that, I think I don't think Australia is playing you know ducks and drakes here. I think this is the fifteen. I mean they've got that that training camp starting May second.
1: Yeah, but say Smith comes back in and they're not happy with his recovery from injury. They're not happy um, with you know his throwing. They could just say, well, look, we're going to save you for the ashes and bring someone else in.
0: Yeah, that that would seem... I would like to think that given given in the release and given Trevor Holmes has only spoken about the fitness of. Richardson and Starr, That would suggest to me that they are comfortable with smith elbow. I know it, it appears a problem in the IPL. I think he's only attempted one one throw. The rest have been underarms while he's been fielding. It was obviously dropped from Rajasthan Royals recently. But given they haven't flagged any red flags about his fitness, i would be I'll be shocked if that happened, To be honest, and I think they are all in on Smith and Warner. I, I, I think they'll definitely both be there. And yeah, at CA. I don't think there is too many concerns over his elbow.
1: Yes, but we still could have a dramatic change <laughs> in May. So
0: we, we could. Yeah, you're right on it. And every country could do that. I mean, we've seen with England last week not putting Joffrey Archer in the 15, but putting him in the 17. He could still come in by that May 22 deadline. So. Yeah, yeah, that's the case across the board.
1: Now, I want to talk about the strengths and the weaknesses of Australia's World Cup squad. Just But just before we get to that, they did announce the Australia A four-day squads, one-day squads and also the contract list last week. Um, one thing I wanted to make note of, I thought it was weird that Trent Copeland wasn't given a chance in the Australia A four-day squad. He was a Sheffield Shield leading wicket-taker, someone that was talked about as an Ashes prospect. And I would have slotted him. Him into that Australia A squad, probably ahead of Michael Nisa. Do you think he's a bit stiff?
0: Yeah, it's a good point. I haven't given this a whole lot of thought, but having a look at the 4 A squad in front of me now, some of those names, he certainly deserves to be on alongside. His record in the Shield season was a great, and that probably means he should be in Australia A. That, that, that is a surprise. And. It would be nice to see Trevor or someone elaborate on that because I think that's a question that needs to be answered.
1: And, and you could have injuries pile up for the Australian quicks. I mean, you would want a stable of fast bowlers ready there. The other one was the contracts were handed out. And, uh, look, three players that got, got contracts, Sean Marsh, James Pattinson and Marcus Harris. Now, Ben Horn on the last podcast made a very good point that, you know, you got these three players getting contracts, yet... Uh, you know players like Joe Burns and Curtis Patterson, who made Test centuries in the last Test match, were overlooked. So I find it strange, for example, that they gave Sean Marsh a contract where he he really is only in the frame to play in this World Cup, and then that could be it for him. It's a good point again,
0: but I think the World Cup was a pretty significant part of the of the contract. That 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 be the only selection, uh, the only justification for it. Marnus Labuschagne as well play is a Test incumbent. He was overlooked as well for. So this is a hard one. I mean, you can only give out 20 contracts and they'd already rubber a stand one for Smith and Warner. So, you know, it was effectively 18 players from the previous summer they could contract. Um, and then you look at a guy like Pete Hanscom, not in the current test team, not in the World Cup, but he gets a contract. So, yeah, I think it just shows you where they're at with some players. And despite Burns and and lighting up that Sri Lanka series and... I think on their way to play for Australia, right, it shows that they're probably a little bit down the pecking order in terms of the Ashes. Sean Marsh, I think it's as simple as he's in the World Cup squad, so they'll give him a contract. Marcus Harris, I think that they've locked in for the Ashes just about.
1: He's not in my team.
0: No, he's not in your team, but he, he had some really good knocks against, you know, a lead Indian attack, and I think his Sheffield Shield form in the back end of the season has to like just pretty confident that, it's most likely to be him and David Warner to open that edge bastion on August 1 in the first test. I, I think that's just about a lock, to be honest.
1: Let's get into the strengths. I'm
0: and trying to fire you up here. <laughs> well,
1: I don't want to argue with you, but I just think you got Warner coming back, and you got Joe Burns, who's made four Test centuries. Marcus Harris has zero Test centuries. You know, Joe Burns just seems to get dropped at any time the selectors want to bring someone else in. They just drop Burns like he hasn't performed, and I just think it's outrageous.
0: And Burn just to clarify as well isn't even in the Australian A squad.
1: Yeah, but I think that's because he's playing county cricket. So yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, yeah. Now
0: just one more. That, mm. JL said that he'll weight county runs equally with Australia A ones. What, what what do you think about that? Do you think know that's fair?
1: Yeah, I do think it's fair, and uh, I think they've made the right decision to leave. The Aussie pros with their counties playing competitive cricket and take another yeah. Australia A squad, so you've you've got more players over there playing cricket, which is you know better for the overall health of the, the team.
0: Definitely, yeah. And you maximise experience with the jig ball on, on those conditions as well. So, yeah, definitely the right way to go.
1: All right. Now, let's finish this and just go through the strengths and weaknesses of Australia's one day squad. I'll just give you mine and, and you can agree or disagree. Let's start with the weaknesses because I'm usually negative anyway. I, I think Australia's lower order batting is a bit thin. They've got Stoyness and Maxwell who sort of fit into that middle to lower order hitting role, but then leaving out Hanscom and Turner. I think has left them uh, short of options there.
0: Yeah, I think you're right to a certain extent, but I, I think the the, the, ta- the power and the tail alleviate that to some degree. Like, I mean, Pat Cummins is effectively all-rounder. Mitchell starts not far behind. Even Jai Richardson can make some runs, and Nathan Coulson-Mile, if you get the game, he's probably close to that all-rounder status as well, so... Yeah, I think there's some power there. I love I love what Maxi can do. Uh, you know I'm a fan of his. Same. My one concern about Marcus Stoinis is that does he take too long to get go? I think his strike rate in the first 10 balls is about 60 or 65. So that's a little bit of a red flag for me. I, I think it's definitely a fair concern, but... Don't underestimate what the tail can do because if they're around with five, six, seven, eight overs to go, they can not only see out the innings, but they can have some pretty important runs as well, I think.
1: What do you think about Australia being an all-rounder short in the squad? We really only have, again, Stoinis and Maxwell who can bowl a few overs, can be that fifth bowler. I know there weren't many candidates putting their hand up, but... We don't really have a lot of fifth bowling options.
0: Uh, This is a good point. This is one I've spoken to to Ben Horn a a little bit about as well. I think he's spoken to the podcast about it too. In the 2015 World Cup, I think we have uh, a couple more options in that capacity. I know Ricky Ponting, who's obviously an assistant coach for the World Cup, he's always been a, a really big fan of Mitchell Marsh. He pushed his case publicly recently. Now, obviously, Mitch hasn't been selected, but it just shows—it just went to show you that Punter probably thought that was in the area of concern as well. He wouldn't have minded seeing Mitch selected. Are we going to be short a couple of overs? I mean, those bowlers can get torn apart. I know Maxi. I think he went for 82 runs in his first ODI for his English team last week. Uh, he's not the most econ- economical all-rounder at times. Join you know, we're, net, we're yet to see him really perform on this sort of stage uh, with the ball. So, yeah, oh, I think that's a concern as well. It's it's, a, it's definitely a, a different change of tack from the 2015 World Cup, where I think we had a few more options.
1: And the last weakness for me is the wicket-keeping position. Uh, we talked about it when talking about selection. But, you know, they've gone for Carey, who's a conservative batter, um, you know, he's someone that can sort of stick around and form good partnerships, but he's not a dynamic hitter. They could have gone for a Wade or a Hanscom or or someone that could sort of really own that position and give a bit more.
0: Yeah, look, I'm listening there. We've spoken about it a, a little bit before. I think they could have been a little bit more adventurous with that position, but I mean, you know, Kerry's vice captain of the team. They've just been so wedded to him for so long that um, it was just about as dirty. But I, I think there's pressure on Alex Kerry. I mean, you know, if early in the tournament, we're a few wickets down early and he gets a, a really good look at an innings, he would really want to play, a, you know, a match-defining knock. We all know he's a good gloveman, but he needs runs to, to justify that position. So I think there's a little bit of heat on him. I mean, you, you talk about players under the pump. Steve Smith goes in with pressure on him. Warner obviously does as well in the same bracket, although it looks like he'll perform based on his IPL heroics. But, yeah, I, I think there's there's a little bit of heat on Carey just to win the bat and connect a few early, particularly if he gets in, in a good position of an innings.
1: Now, can you see any other weaknesses in the squad? Yeah, just that that finishing
0: power. I mean, obviously, you know, Glenn Maxwell, is a great at it. But, you know, without Ashton Turner in the middle order, um, and with, you know, with all our power at the top in Finch and Warner, uh, yeah, I just look at some other countries, you know, England, the West Indies, yeah. You look at the sort of the run rates they'll be able to go to from 35, 40, 40 overs onwards, and I'm just not sure whether we can match that. I mean, with Turner we could have. We we saw what he did in Mahali with what 84 or 41 balls or something. Yeah, just just that that absolute just six hitting ability outside of Maxwell. Uh, I think that just runs a little bit thin when we're going to be towards the end of an innings. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that sort of later order hitting is um, a little bit weak. You put in no Turner, no Hanscom, and then, you know, Carey is your wicket keeper. As you say, the Stark, Cummins, Coulton Nile, and even to a lesser extent, Jai Richardson can all swing the willow, so they might be relying on them for a bit of a tonk at the end.
0: The, the other one I'd like to raise is I'm fascinated to see how many games Lion and have bowl together and how they really work that partnership and how many overs through the, the middle they get because let's be honest, this is something new for Australian cricket. We've never played two spinners before. In the twenty fifteen World Cup, we didn't play any. We had David Doherty in the squad and he basically sat on the pine for just about every game. So we're following the leader a little bit here. This is what every other country does and you know this is the strength of, of most other teams in the world. So how they go in tandem um, is a is a bit of a question for me and something I'm looking forward to. So watching with interest. Do you think they can get the job done for us? Do you think they're two good enough spinners yeah, to, to, to fix an area which has been a, a, a problem in the past?
1: Yeah, I, I do think they can get the job done. I've actually got them in our strengths. So we'll move on to the strengths because I think we saw Zampa really come into his own this summer. And, uh, you know, with Lyon, I think they do bowl well together. So I think they will be good. And in England, we could get a few dusty, dry tracks if the weather mm. holds out. So, you know, you could have to play two spinners at times.
0: Yeah, I should have read the run set here. I'm sorry to jump ahead of you. <laughs> no, you
1: can jump ahead. So, so let's go on to the strengths. I think one of Australia's strengths is an informed top order. Everybody, Warner, Finch, Kawaja, Smith, Maxwell, Stoyness and Shaw Marsh they all come in probably Smith the least of them all but they all come in with a lot of confidence.
0: Definitely. Yeah, you're 100% right there. Uh, but again my question mark is on Kawhi he is at number 3. That average drops from 50 odd to to 24 so he does, like the, he does seem to like the, the, the new ball in one day cricket. It comes on maybe a little bit easier for him.
1: But don't you think he's also maybe turned the corner in one day cricket? He was always on the fringes. Now that, the, that he's established himself in a team, made a couple of hundreds, perhaps now won't matter so much where he bats.
0: But that, that's a really good point as well. Yeah, the, the confidence boost he would have received over the past you know, six weeks probably can't be underestimated as well. I think that's a. A really fair point. But it just does change that. I mean, he's built that confidence, you know, walking out for the first over every game. Does that does he get unsettled a little bit at all, or can he bank that and, and move it to number three? Uh, yeah, I, it's a good point, and I'm fascinated to see how he goes. I think that's why the five warm-up games are going to be important. Three against New Zealand, and then England and Sri Lanka over in the UK. I think those five games, to, to get the chemistry right with putting two new players in, I think it's going to be really important as well.
1: Another strength of the Australian squad is you know, five wicket-taking quick bowlers in Cummins, Stark, Richardson, Coulton and Berendorf. I think they could cause a lot of havoc in the World Cup and knock over a few top orders.
0: Let's be honest, it's an attack every other country would love to have. That cartel of quicks is absolutely first class. You know, we saw... Mitchell Stark did at the 2015 World Cup. I mean, he won us the final three balls in just about when he knocked over McCullum. Pat Calman's past six, seven, eight, whatever games it is, in one day cricket has been absolutely phenomenal. And Dyer Richardson has been a shining light. And what I really like about Dyer Richardson is his fielding. Hopefully his shoulder doesn't prevent him from you know being as quick and agile and athletic as he has been because that's a massive focus for Justin Langer. It always has been whether he was at the Perth Scorches or... Well, now at Australia, so uh, yeah, his building I think is first class as well. And Coulson, Isle, and Berendorf—they're pretty handy up. They're probably not going to be in the best eleven, but yeah, again, they're, they're probably getting a game at most countries, so it's pretty nice to have them round out the cartel.
1: Yeah, I'm just going to stick up for Berendorf here. Uh, you've okay. sort of, if you played him down a bit this podcast, but one thing I have, I, one <laughs> thing I like about Berendorf is he 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 moves the new ball. And he does get good batsmen out. He's got the ability to bowl the absolute Jaffa that'll knock over someone like a Virat Kohli or a Johnny Bairstow, you know. So that's why I like Berendorf. I'm not sure you'd play Stark and Berendorf together, but I I think they they're it's good taking him.
0: Yeah, oh, look, you, you bang on there. He, he knocked out Barak Coley for a duck last week in the IPL. So uh, golden duck as well, I think that was. So you, you bang on there. And I think you're right as well. They're both left so He's probably there as insurance for Stark. If they want to give Saka a rest at some stage, he, he probably does come in to, to take the new ball with the, You know, and to keep the left arm, right arm combination. So, yeah, I think it's a a really good point you make.
1: But I have one concern about this stable of fast bowlers, Sam, and I want you to store this away because I wonder if they are vulnerable in the death overs. We don't have a specialist death bowler. Cummins has done it at times. He can bowl a good slow ball. Stark, if he gets it right, can bowl a good Yorker. But really, we don't have the specialist death bowler.
0: Yeah, again, fair call. Who would you class as a specialist death bowler? Who are your favourites from around the world?
1: Well, someone like an Andrew Tyre, for example. Yeah. Lasith Malinga.
0: Yeah, okay. I like it. I, I think I think the game plan is going to have to rest on getting early wickets. They're um, not having the elite talent at the other end in those final overs. I know Marcus Dornis has been really putting his hand up to, to take on some of the responsibility at the death. Um, whether they back him in, I'm not sure just yet. But, you know, he's one option. Um, I think Cummins can do it if he gets it right. Stark as well is probably good enough. Uh, I, yeah, I think there's options there. There's as no specialist as you would, as you would class it, but if they can do enough damage early on, um, I think they can again alleviate that concern to to some extent.
1: Yeah, let me be clear. I wouldn't have necessarily picked a tie, but I just think that that's where this bowling attack is its weakest. So store that away.
0: I like it. I like it. It's on the notepad.
1: <laughs> All right. Any other strengths?
0: Uh look, I I think this, I think the top order. I think Finch and Warner, they they're just about the two most destructive batsmen in the world. I've loved, I've loved watching Warner in the IPL. You know, a couple of nights ago he was on 450 runs leading the way, um you know, an average of what close to 80, strike rate of about 140 and you know, we've seen what Finch did against Pakistan plus that 93 against India so Oh, I can't go past that partnership. I mean, if opposition attacks don't get an early wicket, Australia's going to be in a really, really good place just about every game.
1: All right, Sam, you've been very good with your time. I've, i am of course, I've of course got Sam Landsberger from the Herald Sun uh, going over to the World Cup. Just tell me, what chance do you give Australia now of making the semi-finals?
0: Look, it's split on its head, really. If you'd ask me, probably in December, um, after that South African series, or Or maybe even throughout the Indian Series, which we lost at home, probably slim. But I really like the new game plan. I think they worked on it during the Boxing Day Test in Melbourne. They they basically threw out the old one and came up with a new one. And you know, given the chemistry of the team, um, if they can integrate Smith and Warner without creating a complete circus and sideshow, I think they're absolute locks to make the semi-finals. I think they're they're quite clearly in the best four teams, and uh, I think it would be a fail if they didn't reach them. To be honest, what about you?
1: absolute locks to make the semis. Wow. Um, well, I- I'm confident that they'll put up a good show now. I think they should make the semis, but I just wonder, you know, we've seen some of the stuff that the West Indies and England um, have been at and India doing one day cricket when they're really in form, You know, massive scores, they really pin the ears back. And I just wonder, if Australia can keep up with those sort of um, you know full throttle one day teams
0: I think they've got to be too stiff, but they've got Afghanistan first up which probably appeared to be a danger game a little while ago given you know 30 overs a spin from Rashid Khan and Navi and Majid but you know surely they won't drop that and then they've got the you know, the erratic West Indies... I'm going to keep um, that
1: sound bite Surely they won't drop that.
0: <laughs> and then they've got that the West Indies in the second game. Obviously so powerful and erratic at times. The West Indies on their day can beat anyone in the world. But, you know, given they're not two of the, the higher-ranked teams, if Australia can just get over that start, get to 2 zip with Smith and Warner backing the team, I think they'll be in a really good position.
1: I think it's going to be a really tight race for that semi-finals with that format. And I actually think... Afghanistan and the West Indies will win games and take points off, you know, some of the highly fancied nations and keep it really tight. And I think the actual West Indies could challenge for that top four. So keep an eye on them.
0: We well, look at the first four games: Afghanistan, the West Indies, and then India and Pakistan. Now Australia will go in with full confidence against both those teams after series wins on the road recently as well. So, not to get too far ahead, but when you look at the fixture, I think they might be. You know, it's not a bad start to a tournament. To a tournament, when you're looking for early momentum and to get on a roll, I think there's a really good opportunity just to, uh, yeah, to. To, not to weigh a couple of wins and, and see what everyone else has put up so far.
1: Well, listeners, Sam Landsberger has said it, that not to get too far ahead, but he's got Australia four wins from four games to start the <laughs> World Cup. Um, well, Sammy, uh, thanks so much for taking the time and coming back on the podcast. Great that you'll be over there and uh, we'll talk soon.
0: Pleasure. Thanks for having me. All the very best.
1: That was Sam Landsberger from the Herald Sun and uh, now the Cricket Unfiltered World Cup reporter thrilling stuff for him all right we're going to take a quick break then after the break i'm going to be joined by ali martin the cricket writer from the guardian in england to talk about his view of the world cup and the way the english squad is shaping up ahead of the world cup and the ashes but before we do that i just want to remind you if you have a moment to Please go on and rate and review the podcast on whatever app you listen to the show on. Uh, if it's iTunes or, or any app, please go and rate the show. It's much appreciated. If you want to find me or the show on social media, on Instagram, I'm at Amen as Cricket. You can also find the podcast at Aus Cricket Pod. That's A-U-S Cricket Pod. And that's on Instagram and Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Amenas and you can find the podcast on Facebook as the Australian Cricket Podcast. All right, we'll take a quick break, and then I'll be back with Ali Martin from The Guardian.
2: Bold him, full and straight. The Bangladesh Tigers have knocked the England Lions out of the World Cup. One of the lowest points in English
1: history. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Menas. And now joining me on the line all the way from the UK is cricket writer for the Guardian, Ali Martin. Welcome back to the show, Ali. How are you?
2: Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Menace. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, um always enjoy listening to the show and it's always nice to be asked on it.
1: Yeah, you're a bit of a long-time listener of the podcast, even I think before I was with News Corp. So, um, yeah, I was ahead of the curve, as ever. Now, Ali, uh, I've got you on the line because I want to talk about an exciting summer of cricket in England this year. You've got the World Cup and the Ashes. Do you think cricket is going to knock off football transfers from the back page for a day or two?
2: Well we certainly hope so I mean yeah as you say I mean this is this is the biggest summer of cricket certainly in my lifetime the two coming together a World Cup and then an Ashes series and um, you know for once England potentially heading into a World Cup not totally totally off the pace as they have been in previous editions Um, and actually coming in as one of the favourites so um, optimism bounds but the the sort of English nature is that we always uh, fear the worst as well so um, but no I think I think it's going to be a bumper summer of cricket and uh, yeah can't wait Uh,
1: tell me Australia announced their World Cup squad uh, last Monday what did you think of it
2: yeah, I mean, I mean Australia have obviously been on this incredible run, haven't they? So, um, and, it, and it certainly caught the eye of, uh, you know, people overseas, and we've we've certainly sat up and watched. But, you know, I mean, I guess there's no surprise to see David Warner and, and Steve Smith back in the fold for Australia. I guess, I guess, on a personal level, my own reaction was I was just a little bit surprised by some of the batting personnel. And it's, it's nothing against the individuals; it's more the kind of blend and balance of a one-day team that, that's going to be required in this World Cup. Um, and so, given that, I mean, I can't, for example, I think probably Finch and Warner will probably open. That You'd expect that to be the case. And, and therefore, I can't see a team that contains Kawaja, Smith and Shaw Marsh in it. And I'm just surprised, therefore, that they haven't gone for just that one extra sort of, you know, real attacking, finishing player like Ashton Turner, who obviously we saw have that breakthrough in India. Um, you yeah, know, albeit relatively inexperienced and might have you at international level. But I'm just surprised they haven't gone for that because... You've only got to look at scores in England in the last few years, uh, and they've been mega. You know, they, it's it's a really high one-day cricket's a really high-scoring game in England these days. It's um, they they play on pretty flat pitches, and there are going to be times in the innings when you're going to have to put the afterburners on. And I, I just it just all looks a little bit samey. But obviously, I I, I shouldn't discount Glenn Maxwell in there, who is a freakishly brilliant talent. So. Um, I was a little bit surprised by it, but clearly they've got a lot of momentum at the moment, so who am I to question?
1: Yeah, I um, agree with you about Australia maybe lacking a bit of that firepower, especially when we come up against England, India, the West Indies that have got lineups full of big hitters. What what struck me was when Australia went on their eight match winning one day streak it's really made the rest of the cricket world sit up and take notice i mean australia have struggled for four years in 50 over cricket since winning the last world cup but come world cup time australia seems to make other countries nervous
2: yeah i mean i I wouldn't i wouldn't overstate it too much but i mean having said that i mean when you see a team come into form like that before a tournament, and it's a team, you know, a country with the pedigree of Australia. Um, yeah, I mean, pe- people are going to sit up and take notice, and um, I don't think anyone was ever was ever sort of thinking they were. They, they were never as bad as the team that came here and lost five one days and a, and a t20 to boot. Um, you know, about about a year ago. So um, it was always going to make people take notice, and I think I think the key was Australia. I think why people are always going to fear Australia. Uh, is in the bowling because you know the old adage batsmen win your games, bowlers win your tournaments, um, and we certainly saw that four years ago with Mitchell Stark. And so uh, you know, and obviously he's part of this part of this squad. And you know, if you've got an Australian squad that can't find a place for Josh Hazelwood, even if he is coming back from injury, then you must have a pretty good bowling attack there. So um, yeah, I, I think I think people are people are certainly sitting up and taking notes of Australia. But let's face it, it's, it's such an open World Cup. We've just seen England, you know, held to a two-all draw in, in West Indies. Uh, and the West Indies, you know, they look, they look, uh, they look pretty useful as well. You, you know, there's, there's going to be, I say, upsets. It's only ten teams in this World Cup, but there's going to be results are going to be um, hard to predict. I put it that way. I think it's going to be a very tight, tight run thing.
1: I agree. What sort of reception do you think Steve Smith and David Warner will get from the English crowds? Will it be as savage as I guess uh, we're all expecting?
2: I'd, I'd, I'd like to think that it's going to be sort of mixed and laced with a bit of humour in there. I don't I don't think it's going to be sort of all-out dogs abuse aimed at them. Uh, I'd like to think there was going to be a little bit of humour, a little bit of smarts, a little bit of wit involved, I'd like to think. But, yeah, I mean, they're going to get treatment. Uh, but I, I don't think it's going to be anything sort of personal. I, I guess, I think. I think for a lot of England fans, it's kind of, you know, it wasn't a series involving England, but it did kind of make us question what had gone on beforehand. And so... <laughs> You know, I think there 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 are going to be people who've got sort of legitimate beef with this Australian team, and will probably feel like that side of the story has never come to light simply because Cricket Australia weren't looking for it.
1: I'm just going to let that go through to the keeper alley because uh, <laughs> it's, we've talked a lot about it in the podcast, but I find it very frustrating that somebody, even as you, that knows how much teams tamper with the ball, that you would think that it was an issue. During the Ashes, I mean, you even go back to two thousand and five with a bit of mint gate. Yeah, it doesn't seem to me to have been the main issue.
2: No, no, no. no, no. I, 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 I take your point there, and, and look, it's fair to say that all teams will certainly manage and you know try and maintain the ball when it's when it's happening. I guess I guess there was a I guess there was a slight England element to it. Is at the end of the Ashes that um, you know there was a report that that one of the players uh, had been sort of boasting at the post series drinks about how he'd been how he'd been doing it, et cetera. So, as I say, it was more the case that Cricket Australia just chose not to lift up the rock on that particular one. But, look, that's their prerogative, if that's their way mm. they
1: want to play it. Well, I guess we, if we lift up all the rocks of every international team, I reckon you could find something for every team that is skirting the laws. And, obviously, taking sandpaper onto the field is a, a huge step over that line. But, uh, yeah, I think you wouldn't want to lift up that rock on any team. <laughs>
2: Well, yeah, that's part of my job, I suppose. But yes, um well, but, you yeah, want to. well um,
1: we can go rock lifting this summer. There'll be all the teams <laughs> there.
2: Yeah.
1: So England named their. 15-man squad for the World Cup but you know it's not a final squad so it can be changed up until I think the sort of last week of May and then but they so they named a 17-man squad for the preceding one day series and England in are in a different position to a lot of teams in that they're playing a lot of cricket at the moment so they actually could change this 15-man squad depending on um, form so a lot of the the chat is centered around the inclusion of Joffre Archer, obviously in Australia, we know him well from his uh, Big Bash career with the Hobart Hurricanes. Now, what do you think Joffre Archer's chances are of breaking into that fifteen?
2: Yeah, I think he, I think he's got a very good chance of breaking into it. To be honest, I think England are, are very excited about about this guy. I mean, uh, he'll be well known to people in Australia, obviously through his Big Bash exploits, which is which is kind of what put him on the world map in the first place. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of excitement about him. I think England have probably just just slightly played it. I think they've played it the right way in the in that I think to put him into as an uncapped player, he's only got sort of a handful of List A games behind him as well. To put him straight into that World Cup squad would have been um, would have been a tricky one because had he played then played subsequently against Ireland and Pakistan and, and not really set the world light, struggled a bit over the longer format, it isn't T twenty, of course, and international cricket is a higher standard than domestic cricket. Had he struggled and they then had to yank him out of the World Cup it would have, you know, been uh, bit awkward but I think this way they've just given themselves the option to take a look at him uh, weigh up all the options and it, you know England's bowling for, I mean England are number one in the world they're on an incredible run of one day cricket in the last four years but bowling is probably the, their, one, their, their weakest suit and um, if there's a guy that can augment it, and he proves to be the case over these next few games, I don't think they'll hesitate to bring him in, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I guess um, uh, to give that little sort of X factor with the extra pace that, that England doesn't have sort of with the other bowlers, Liam Plunkett's not bowling as fast as he was maybe a couple of years ago, so he would bring something.
2: He, he certainly would, and look, this, this this is where the allure comes from, because I think England, as I say, it has been their sort of weakest seed. Their, their, their batting has been you know, phenomenal over the last four years. They've stuck 300-plus on the board, you know, 34 times. The next best team is India with 21. It's almost twice as many times as Australia and South Africa. They go over six and over. They've gone over six and over for four years, which no other team is doing, which is, you know, pretty pioneering, trailblazing stuff with the bat. But with the ball, you know, they've only got two bowlers in the top 20 of the ODI rankings at the moment, which is Adil Rashid at 10, and I think Chris Woakes is up there as well. So... They are lacking in the bowling department. Someone like Archer, who's just that, you know, as you say, 90 miles an hour, absolute pure athlete as well in the field, you know, can hit a long ball with the bat as well, not that England are short of those players. But he, he, he's clearly an alluring talent, And it's, it, it, but it is based on attributes at the moment. And T20 form, and it's a question of how that transfers over to 50 overs. But you know, I, the one, I think the other thing is, is that England's England's bowling attack is just slightly creaking as well. Chris Wokes has got a long-standing knee injury that is, is a bit niggly. We've got Mark Wood, who you know he bowled like lightning in the Caribbean, sort of you know touching 95 miles an hour certainly in the Test match, and then took that through to the one days. But he's you know he's got a, a patchy injury record himself, um, and so a guy like a guy like Archer, he, he's always going to catch the eye. For an England selector, because it, it is just that one area we need spin bowling, absolutely fine. Adil Rashid and Moen Ali, but, but fast bowling, real X-factor pace, ninety miles an hour, and with that with those killer yorkers that he's got at, at the death, yeah, I think I think Archer's it's it's just a question of where he slots into whether he can slot break into the team. I think he's I think he's certain to get into the squad, to be honest.
1: Now, Ali, I have very very fond memories of cricket World Cups in England. I was actually lucky enough to be in England for the 1999 World Cup and I I sort of travelled around the sort of super sixes and the semi-final and final stage following Australia and seeing their glorious victories over South Africa and one of my other memories is that when I flew out of Sydney, England was already knocked out of the World Cup. So, do you think England have a chance at choking again?
2: <laughs> is, uh, I love it. I love your optimism on that front. But um, to be honest, I, uh, do they have a chance of choking? I, I can't see it. Not based on form, and certainly based on format as well. But, you know, it's a it's a ten team round robin. Nine games guaranteed each. I I can't really envisage a situation where they're not uh, going to make the top four and into the uh, into the semi finals. Um, and also okay. ten teams. Well, <laughs> I think obviously in 99 i think they were you're right they were bundled out of the tournament before the official tournament song was released in the charts so um <laughs> uh, which was quite a feat but no this time around look i think i think they shape up pretty well i think they've got a it's it's hard to see when they've got the batting lineup that is arguably the envy of the world i think you, there's only a couple of players outside of the england team that you drop in there one's called virat kohli and the other one's possibly david warner actually but um that aside they've got so much power in that batting lineup um and less the pitchers uh, suddenly start jagging sideways, or have got really indifferent bounce. I can just see England hitting the ball through the line quite sweetly on grounds that they know, the, you know, like the back of their hands, racking up big scores. But if they don't, I mean, it would be a quite cataclysmic failure if they didn't make the semi-finals.
1: I agree. Now I've got three English players to watch that I think could be. The, the difference for England if they're to succeed in this World Cup. Johnny Bairstow, David Warner's best mate. <laughs> Joss Butler, I think those two with the bat that have got the sort of explosive ability to really knock sides around. And then... Tom Curran, who did really well for the Sydney Sixers over summer, he's got a really good sort of skill set with the ball, sort of bowling in the death over. So I think they're three players to watch.
2: Yeah, I think, well, it's it's certainly a decent shout on the first two. I think Tom Curran is probably... uh, I I like Tom Curran, don't get me wrong. He's a a, a talented bloke, and as you say, he's he's a real bag of tricks, and especially at the death. And what I like about him is that when it comes to the final overs, he wants the ball. Give me the ball. You know, that's his attitude. He's a really... Really feisty little little fast bowler who loves who wants to be in those pressure situations. But to be honest, he he could be one of the players that's sort of under being threatened by Jofra Archer's presence. So we'll, we'll have to see how that one plays out. But he's he'll certainly be looking ahead to the to the games beforehand against Ireland and Pakistan, trying to. Kind to, you know, shut the door on Archer himself. It's, it's, it's going to be a fascinating few weeks coming
1: up. Yep. And uh, any sort of picks for teams that you think will sort of be dangerous? You know, you got, you know, obviously India and England, but what, you know, and Australia. But any other teams you're a bit wary of?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, because it's because it's 10 teams and it's it's the top 10 ranked teams pretty much, then, you know, it's, it's I, I do fancy anyone could beat anyone. I, I think the West Indies, it would be interesting to see with West Indies whether they, um, how they react to having had their head coach he was only recently installed, removed again. So um, you know, because they they look like a team that are on something good. They've got you know the Chris Gale, who's just <laughs> he was incredible against England in that series. Um, uh, and you've got a, a player like Shimron Hetmeyer there, who I you know I really I, I really highly rate as a as a player. Uh, he's having a bit of a tough time in the IPL, but he's a, he's a really good player. So I could see West Indies causing people damage, and I, I'd love to see how people go against Rashid Khan, to be honest, um, of Afghanistan, because. Um, I mean, England, I think England have only played him once. And they have a warm-up game against Afghanistan. And if I was the Afghans, I would be thinking about telling Rashid, either either not bowling Rashid in that game, or telling him to only bowl the leg spinner um, and just keep all his variations to himself. Because, you know, teams who haven't had a proper look at him first could could get unstuck quite quickly.
1: Ali, before I let you go, just a quick chat about the Ashes, because it's going to come swiftly on the heels of the World Mm. Cup. It's it's quite unprecedented, and can you see either Australia or England actually being able to win a World Cup and an Ashes back to back?
2: Well, that's it's a big it's it's a good question. I, I mean, obviously, England being at home does favour them, and if they were to win the World Cup, I, I mean, I could I could see England doing it. Uh, it. For Australia to do it would be phenomenal. That said, I, I mean, I, I actually think Australia are going to be. It's, the Ashes series is going to be. Pretty closely fought, actually, because we, the last few years we've had a Jukes ball that has that has done all sorts. It's had a very pronounced seam, and, and and batting's been blooming hard work. Only really Coley sort of transcended it last summer, but him aside, you know, when you've got Anderson, Broad, obviously Curran, Stokes swings the ball as well. You've got Wokes who comes in and, and, sw- and gets that red ball moving as well. So, but with this new Jukes ball they're using this year, we're seeing a lot of big scores in the County Championship, certainly early summer, um, which you don't really expect in April. Um, they just reduced the seam a, a, a very small amount, but it seems to it seems to be having a profound effect. Now, that being the case, uh, one thing we know Australian batsmen don't like is lateral movement on the ball, uh, and when it isn't there, they tend to cash in. And we also know that when there isn't lateral movement on the ball, Australia have the fast bowlers that can transcend that issue. I mean, you know, you only got to go back to the last Ashes series in Australia, where you know the pitches were some of the worst, most moribund pitches I've ever seen, to be honest. But um, Australia, you know, found a way through Smith's absolute bloody mindedness with the bat, and uh, and that 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 uh, bowling attack w- which took all all of their wickets, you know, Cummins, Hazelwood, Stark um, and Lyon, and 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 they've got James Pattinson possibly to come in as well. So, you know, I think I think Australia, it's it's going to be a very hard fought Ashes series, uh, and I've got I've got a small allegiance myself to Nottinghamshire, and so I'm going to be very pleased when James. Patterson is playing for as a Trent bridge uh and then um hoping it, it all goes to all goes wrong when he pulls on the dagger green i think he's a serious player to have in reserve james Patterson. um and if he can stay fit even if he even if he only plays a couple of matches it's a pretty tight turnaround in that test series if Pattinson can play a couple then he he could really unsettle England.
1: absolutely he's in stunning form showing ball in the sheffield shield at the back end of the season it's Scary It's
2: been noted, believe me.
1: I don't think the Ashes will be as close as maybe we think. I just think England's top order is so vulnerable. I can see Australia just knocking over England repeatedly with no Cook, Uh, Root and Bairstow and Butler maybe. But apart from that, the top order is really thin.
2: Well, I mean, it's, it has been the problem for England. Has been those issues, and to be honest, they didn't. It's not like when Cook was there, they particularly stopped. I mean, he was he he was quite hot and cold himself by the end. I mean, they did just beat India. I wouldn't get too too carried away because you know England, India came here as the number one team in the world, and with that bowling attack that took down Australia in Australia, uh, and they got it handed to them four uh, one, and that was despite Kohli being about. 250 runs clear of anyone else across both sides. So I wouldn't get too carried away England. The thing about their test team is they, they bat very deep uh, and they're going to be at home. And obviously Australia haven't won an Ashes in England since 2001. So uh, it's going to... Look, if they do it, and I'm not saying they can't do it, it they, they've certainly got the bowlers to do it. Um, it's just whether the batsmen can stand up to scrutiny, I suppose. But, it, you know, I'm not saying they can't do it, but... You know, if they do do it, fair play, that will be up there, right up there with probably their best ever Ashes wins, I
1: think. Yeah, well, you only have to look back at 2015 Trent Bridge to, to see the reasons why we might not do it. Ali, you have been so <laughs> good with your time coming on the podcast and uh, great to have a listener on the show. Good luck with it all over there.
2: Thanks, mate. Are you coming over for the, uh, for the bumper summer?
1: I'm not sure yet. At this stage, it's looking unlikely, but more likely to come over for the Ashes than the World Cup.
2: Okay, we'll we'll start a crowdfunder. We'll get we'll get you over.
1: Yeah, can I sleep on your floor or something?
2: <laughs> oh dear. Right, I better cut this. I've got it's a dodgy line here, minute, better go.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Ali. Take care. Cheers, mate. Well, that was Ali Martin, the cricket writer for the Guardian in the UK. And that's it for this episode of Cricket Unfiltered. Thanks so much to Sam Landsberger from The Herald Sun for coming on and, of course, Ali Martin from The Guardian. You've been listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mentzel, and we will be back soon with another show. Thank you. That was great, Ali.
2: No worries, no, no, thanks mate, I love, (laughs) great. I love your optimism mate.